0: This episode was paid in full by DTN Progressive Farmer. A collaboration between national commodity groups supercharged with USDA funding is taking a big swing at encouraging farmers to adopt cover crops. How can you get involved? That's today on Field Posts. it's a DTN Progressive Farmer podcast that dives deeper into the most important trends in agriculture to explore the business's cutting edge. I'm your host, Sarah Mock. Farmers for Soil Health is both a collaboration amongst farmer groups and a program hoping to motivate a big change in the U.S. ag landscape. The group's mission? To advance the use of soil health practices like cover crops to help improve farmer profitability Was born out of an agreement between the National Corn Growers and the Soy and Pork Checkoffs. Recently, the group won an unprecedented $95 million USDA grant to tackle their goal of achieving 30 million acres in cover crops by 2030, a significant increase over today's numbers. Today, we're talking to the Executive Director of Farmers for Soil Health, Ben West, about the details of the project, who's behind it, and how farmers can get involved. We'll learn about the different tracks available to growers who have never tried cover crops, to those who have tried but given up, and even for those who are currently using cover crops but would like to see added benefits. We'll also dig into the role of consumer-facing companies in the project and how USDA is involved, and then we'll tackle what the future of the collaboration might look like, right after this word from our sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by MyDTN. In today's environment, it's essential more than ever To get the most current and accurate information to help save your valuable resources and continue to be profitable, get access to all the information you need to deal with this change from DTN. As the leading independent, trusted source of actionable insights and market information, MyDTN gives you accurate weather forecasts, the most extensive database of grain bids, and the most timely news and analysis from our award-winning news team. These features and more are available 24-7 via desktop, laptop, and any mobile device to be with you on the go. Learn more at MyDTN.com and start a free 14-day trial. Now, back to the show. We're excited to welcome Ben West on the podcast today. He's the Executive Director of Farmers for Soil Health. Ben, I want to start out by just asking about your background. Tell us a little about yourself and what you do.
1: Yeah, so my background is in natural resources. I went and got three degrees. I spent longer in college than my parents thought someone could go to college. And, and finished with a PhD, and my first job was as an extension specialist at Mississippi State University. And so I'd been training for a long time to be a scientist, and all of a sudden, I was thrust into the role of working with a lot of landowners. And so really developed an appreciation at that point for on the ground conservation. We do a lot of things at the national level, but where conservation really happens is on the back 40. And so really developed an appreciation for that. And because of that, and some of my previous experience, I've always worked in the nexus of agriculture and conservation. Because if you're serious about conservation, you can't think about conservation without thinking about agriculture. So spent 10 years or so in, in as a professor, Uh, then moved into higher education administration. And about a year ago, decided I wanted to spend the latter part of my career doing my own thing. So started a consulting firm. And one of the first opportunities I had was to serve as executive director of Farmers for Soil Health. And again, I'm really passionate about conservation. And if you're passionate about conservation, you're not interested or excited about what's happening right now in agriculture, you should find something else to do. Because I think we're at the most exciting time for conservation and agriculture in the last hundred years.
0: That is a perfect transition into tell us a little bit more about Farmers for Soil Health. What the heck is that?
1: Yeah, I get that question a lot. What is Farmers for Soil Health? And today, Farmers for Soil Health is at least two different things. First of all, it started two or three years ago when three commodity organizations, the United Soybean Board, the National Pork Board, and the National Corn Growers Association. Came together and said, we all do sustainability stuff on our own and we collaborate some, but we could really achieve bigger and better things if we really committed to collaborating at a big scale. So those three commodity organizations signed an agreement that basically said we're going to work on sustainability together. And so Farmers for Soil Health was an outgrowth of that. So the first thing that Farmers for Soil Health is, is a collaboration. We say corn and soy dominate U.S. row crop acreage. Pigs eat a lot of those commodities. So those three organizations together, just by committing to partnership and collaboration, have a tremendous impact on the sustainability landscape nationally. So first thing, Farmers for Soil Health is a collaboration between these three organizations. The first initiative of that partnership was the pursuit of one of the USDA Climate Smart commodity grant opportunities. So with a bunch of other partners, we went together and got one of the two largest grants awarded $95 million to advance cover crops in 20 states. So Farmers for Soil Health is both a collaboration, and right now that's a very specific initiative funded by USDA.
0: Tell us a little bit about kind of what that initiative looks like. What, what, what is it programs? Is it money? Is it yep. learnings?
1: Yep. Our our grant program right now, uh, again, funded by the USDA Partnerships for Climate Smart Commodities uh, funding opportunity, really has three big buckets of work. Uh, Again, our goal is to advance the use of cover crops. Cover crops are uh, now adopted on about 8% of U.S. row crop land, about 15 and a half or 16 million acres. We want to advance adoption of it to reach 30 million acres by 2030, and we're gonna try and do that through this grant with three buckets of work. The first is technical assistance. We know one of the reasons for low farmer adoption of cover crops is they simply don't understand it. It's a new practice for many farmers, and like any new practice, there's there's nuances to how to use it that farmers have to become comfortable with. And one of the ways we can help them with that is through on-the-ground technical assistance. So in our 20 states, We've partnered with the state-based commodity organizations to put on the ground technical assistance programs in place in those states. So there's live people in all of those states connected to the state commodity organizations that are going to be working with farmers to help them figure out the agronomic nuances of cover crops, but also the business opportunities of cover crops. So that's the first thing, technical assistance. The second thing, and where we're spending most of our money is in financial assistance of our roughly hundred million dollar budget. We're going to be spending 70 million or so in direct farmer payments. With any new practice, there's a little bit of risk and we hope through these financial assistance opportunities to mitigate that risk. Our payment is, it's a three year commitment when farmers enroll, they're committed to three years to establish cover crops over three years. And uh, we're going to pay them $50 over the contract in a declining basis, $25 the first year, $15 the second year, $10 the third year per acre. So that's the second bucket of work, financial assistance. The third bucket of work is development of an open access, transparent, sustainability marketplace where farmers who are growing commodities using Certain sustainability practices, beginning with cover crops, will be able to to essentially list those practices in their acres. And then, end users, consumer packaged goods companies, biofuel companies, feed companies, wanting to support sustainability and wanting to be able to enhance the sustainability of their supply chain, will be able to deal with farmers in direct and transparent ways. So one of the things, and there's still some details to work out about that, but the foundation of farmers and end users being directly connected without a middleman is something that both ends of the supply chain seem to be really excited about. Farmers want to know who they're selling their sustainability credentials to and have some voice in negotiating the fee for that, the price for that. And end users want to know the farmers that they're buying those from and where they're coming from. So those are the three big buckets, financial assistance, technical assistance, and a sustainability marketplace.
0: Okay. I want to ask a question that I think probably some farmer listeners are already thinking about maybe as they're hearing about this program. I think the average farmer probably has some experience with some kind of conservation program or environmental program that was built by conservationists or by nonprofits or something that didn't maybe work out the most practically on the ground because farmers weren't necessarily involved in the planning. Um, I'm curious for Farmers for Soil Health, what role do farmers have, obviously as participants in the programs, but in the planning and organizing and kind of the oversight of how the program works?
1: Yeah, great point. Again, remember, Farmers for Soil Health is led by three national commodity organizations, and those commodity organizations are led by farmers. So we think one of the things that makes us different than a lot of the conservation programs out there is it is a program that was built by farmers it's led by farmers and it's for farmers so if there's if there are farmer needs and perspectives it's kind of built into our program to accommodate them because it is run by farmers
0: i want to ask too you mentioned the usda climate smart program and the grants that came with that i'm always curious i think Most folks are familiar with Extension, work with their local FSA office, but what role does USDA have in this kind of program?
1: USDA is the banker. They're the ones providing the money, but they're also a really good partner. They've been a good partner with us in helping to think through and resolve barriers to adoption for cover crops and other practices. There's a lot we don't know yet. We're still working on it. I think one of the things that makes right now so exciting for conservation and agriculture is everybody's on the same page. Government, farmers themselves, nonprofits, universities, and corporations—like every everybody's on the same page—to trying to try and drive adoption, successful adoption of sustainability practices.
0: That brings up another group that I'm curious about because I think another experience that maybe some farmers have had who have tried cover crops or tried some of the other programs that have come around offering to create that transparency through the supply chain so that they could get paid extra for products where they use sustainability practices. How did you all integrate, not just the idea that companies will pay more for this, but like specific companies who have made specific commitments as part of this whole planning process?
1: Yeah. So we, we have a lot of partners in Farmers for Soil Health, and we have a lot of people that we are calling on for their input and perspective and expertise. One of those uh, is our corporate partners. So we have a corporate advisory council made up of representatives of a lot of the most significant CPG companies and biofuel companies and feed companies and retailers. And so we're talking to them, you know, weekly about what their needs are, what their goals and objectives, what their barriers and limitations are. And, and one of the things we've learned is that everybody's interested in sustainability. Every company, almost any company in this space in the country has sustainability goals that they're pursuing, but many of them are still working it out, right? There's still a lot of uncertainty about exactly what their needs and their strategies to meet those needs will be going forward. We hope to mitigate that just by being in constant communication, By again, by, by connecting farmers and end users, the corporates, in conversation about how to build a program that meets everybody's needs, we think will be our recipe for success.
0: We focus a lot in this conversation on the financial incentives that farmers can get both from the organization and in the future in the market. But I'm curious whether you've heard from farmers or looked at studies about the other kinds of benefits that come along with planting cover crops, the environmental benefits, the the yield potentially benefits. Tell us a little bit about the rest of the cover crop picture.
1: Yeah. The, one of the reasons that we picked Uh, cover crops is the first practice to really dig into and long term we expect farmers for soil health to get involved in other practices like conservation tillage or buffer strips or any number of other conservation practices but we pick cover crops to start with for two reasons one there's very low adoption of cover crops nationally again less than 10 percent and the other is that they provide so many benefits They provide, and studies show on many farms, they do provide yield benefits, but they also provide long-term environmental benefits like less soil erosion, higher water quality, less nutrient runoff, carbon sequestration. So a lot of environmental benefits that are good, not just for the farmer, but that society is in demand of. And that's why we have so many corporate partners interested in, in working with us. Because we'll be producing environmental benefits that are important to their long-term sustainability goals.
0: Um, I want to transition into talking a little bit about how farmers can get involved. Maybe the first question I have related to that is just how have farmers been involved so far? What has the experience for farmers been like?
1: We have just launched enrollment. We really just launched enrollment last fall of 23. We have several dozen farmers and many thousands of acres enrolled now. But our goal from the beginning was to build a program uh, that would make it really easy for farmers to be involved. You heard me say earlier, we're paying $50 over three years. Some farmers listening may say that's a lot less than, for example, uh, USDA NRCS payments through EQIP. But as we talked to farmers in setting the program up, we realized there's lots of things that drive a farmer's decision about whether to adopt cover crops or not. What they get paid for them is one, but also how complex is the program? How difficult is it? How much time is it going to take them in record keeping? And so we built a program that paid a little less, but that is very simple to enroll. And farmers have told us this is a really simple program. It'll take a farmer a few minutes to enroll their fields through our online registration system. Uh, After they're registered and enrolled, they establish cover crops. We will verify that they did so remotely through satellite imagery and assuming that they did, we'll send them a check and it literally uh, will be that easy. So we designed it to be simple and the feedback we've gotten from farmers so far is that it has been.
0: But you also mentioned that a big part of the barrier for some folks is just not knowing how to do it. The kind of technical difficulty of adopting it for the first time. What kind of resources are available for folks who are just like, Hey, I'm interested, but I, it's not going to be that simple for me. I need help.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I mentioned earlier our technical assistance program. So in every state, we have partnerships with organizations that are well-equipped to work with farmers one-on-one. If you go to our website, www.farmersforsoilhealth.com and go to the directory, you'll see in every state who the organizations and the people are. So if there's farmers listening, they're interested in enrolling, but they still got questions about cover crops, about how to enroll, or just how to manage and steward cover crops in their operation, there's a resource for them in their state. And you can find that, again, on our website.
0: You have done a great job covering all the the benefits of signing up. I'm curious whether, and I'm sure lots of listeners will be curious to know, what kind of costs are people experiencing? Is it obviously... uh, Planting cover crops is like a journey that people go on, have different experiences with, but in your experience, have farmers had a hard time making the transition?
1: It's really interesting. If you look at the landscape and I've talked to a bunch of farmers since we started this and you have farmers who are absolutely committed to cover crops and they would tell you if cover crops were not a tool in their toolbox, they don't know if they could be successful in their farming operation. And you also have farmers who have said, I tried them once and it was a disaster and I'll never try them again. Some of those differences, we think, is just the operation, the nature of the farm, the geography, the soils, but a lot of it also is just knowledge and experience, right? And the the research is pretty clear that cover crops do have the potential to be a big value add. There are plenty of farmers who use cover crops who don't get any incentive payments. They just do it because they see that much value to their farm. What we want to do is be able to provide the financial assistance to mitigate the risk of trying something new. But then couple that with technical assistance over those three years to help farmers figure out how to use it and, best, and, and use best practices to make it a long-term value add for their operations.
0: Uh, I wanna ask two last kind of logistical questions that I think might come to mind for folks listening. One, is this only for corn and soybean acres?
1: The goal is to cover corn and soybean acres. The 20 states that we selected dominate corn and soybean production, but we also know in many of those states, farmers will use other crops in rotation. So I, I happen to live in West Tennessee and cotton is a really common rotation. So our focus and our target is corn and soy acres, but we also know that may incorporate other crops that farmers use in their rotations. One of the issues we've been uh, wrestling with is how to accommodate farmers who use winter wheat as a double crop rotation. Mm -hmm. Um, So the current USDA rules say you can't get federal incentive payments on a winter cover crop that you harvest. And that hasn't changed through our program, but for farmers who have winter wheat as a double crop in their rotation, in their system, those farmers will be able to enroll in a three-year program, but only get paid for two of those years, those years from us. One of the three years for double crop wheat farmers, one of those three years would be the, wheat, the year that they would plant wheat and they wouldn't get an incentive payment. The other two, they would plant other cover crops and they would get reimbursed, compensated for that.
0: And then I imagine that if you are already doing cover crops, already have it as an established practice that you're using, probably don't qualify for this program.
1: So actually, that's something that's really important to us. We have two avenues for farmers to be involved in us. One is through what we call the transition incentive payment, and that's the $50 a year over three-year incentive payment. To qualify for that, it does have to be new cover crop acres. But importantly, the way we define new was, did the farmer establish cover crops on that field the immediate preceding year? So if there are farmers listening who have tried cover crops in the past, but for whatever reason the last year or two or three have not used them or have not used them on some fields, those fields would be eligible for the transition incentive payment program, the $50 payment over three years. But for farmers who have fields, they cover crop every year. There's still a way for them to be involved through our sign up incentive program. Now our financial incentive for that is really small. It's $2 an acre. It basically covers their time to enroll their fields. But the most important thing is then that allows them to participate in the sustainability marketplace and list their commodities and their cover crops on this platform and potentially get financial incentives from the private sector to reward them for it.
0: Last couple of questions here, I think for me, so it sounds like there's ways for people to get involved no matter what their interest or experience with cover crops is. I I imagine people who sign up this year, they will be in the program for three years as part of the transition, but the program will go on after that. So tell me a little bit about the vision or the goals for where is this program going to be in five years in your mind?
1: Yeah, it's a really good question. Keep in mind, this Farmers for Soil Health is only two or three years old. Obviously, this grant, this USDA Climate Smart Commodity Grant, has a start and end time. It's a five-year program. But keep in mind also that the other thing that Farmers for Soil Health is is this long-term collaboration between the three commodity organizations. And we're talking literally weekly about what future opportunities may exist. So we don't know what those are yet but we're continually looking at opportunities and trying to find potential initiatives that will benefit farmers and advance conservation.
0: And then do you mention where farmers can go to enroll and where there's some more information if farmers have specific feedback or have interesting ideas about conservation or some of these goals that they'd like to share what's a good way to reach folks who are involved in farmers for soil health.
1: Yeah, but two, two things, both through our website, again, I would strongly recommend farmers make contact with their local Farmers for Soil Health folks. Those are folks that many farmers will already know because they are folks that already were doing work in their states. So it could be their commodity organization. In some states, the commodity organizations are doing it themselves. In some states, it's the Land Grant University. In some states, it's other really well-known nonprofits. But reach out to those local folks. But if folks have more national questions or suggestions... My contact information is on the website. So go to the website and I I invite anybody to reach out to me.
0: To learn more about Farmers for Soil Health, head over to their website, farmersforsoilhealth.com. And to learn more about DTN's supporting role in Farmers for Soil Health programs, head over to DTNPF.com or DTN.com and subscribe to the monthly DTN Progressive Farmer magazine. This episode of Field Post was brought to you by the team at DTN Progressive Farmer, with special thanks to Ben West. This episode was produced by me, Sarah Mock, with support by Susan Payne and Greg Hillier. And a big thanks to all of you for listening. If you like the show, please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And until next time, remember, the future of farming is here. This episode is brought to you by DTN Haytimer hay and forage quality isn't just about yield. It also relies on the perfect weather window to ensure a good crop. Use DTN Hay Timer, part of MyDTN, to quickly assess risk by viewing maps specifically designed to show circumstances affecting hay quality. Pennsylvania producer David Graybill said, quote, other weather forecasts were not accurate enough. As DTN Hay Timer shows, it takes the right combination of drying to preserve the crop. I would guess we lost three to four times the value in crops that it would cost us to keep our DTN subscription for the year. DTN Haytimer is part of the MyDTN platform. Visit MyDTN.com to start a free 14-day trial.